Hello, this is Peter Jonathan Robertson with the 98th episode of the PJ Archive. It's an interview I did with the great British actor and Oscar-winning filmmaker Richard Attenborough. His acting credits include Brighton Rock, The Great Escape, Jurassic Park and Miracle on 34th Street. And he famously directed movies such as Gandhi, Cry Freedom, Chaplin and Shadowlands. Lord Attenborough, who was made a life peer in 1993, died in 2014 at the age of 90. My interview with him took place in London in 1996, shortly after he'd become a grandfather for the seventh time. We began by talking about his work as a goodwill ambassador for UNICEF. You do a lot of charity work over the years. Why did you choose this particular charity? Well, in a way, it sort of uh, chose me to a certain extent. I made a film in India uh, about Mahatma Gandhi, and I was very struck by the deprivation and the struggle just to stay alive that, that was so evident in uh, so many millions of lives that during the year or two that I was there, that when UNICEF asked if they could have the premiere to benefit UNICEF, I said yes and said, look, not only you may have the premiere in London, we'll go all over the world. And we did that. And we raised over a million dollars for UNICEF. And after that, they asked me if I would become what's called a very grand name for a very ordinary job, uh, called a Goodwill Ambassador. And there are four of us, uh, Peter Ustinov, uh, Liv Ullman, Harry Belafonte, myself. And we... Uh, go all over the world to the, the cold face where it's right, or we go to government or we go to whomever. And one of the things that UNICEF has done over the years, of course, is to look after the very existence of children. Well, now, if that's fine, you deal with diphtheria, you deal with clean water, you deal with antenatal con- uh, concerns and so on, and you find eventually that they are making it. But there is another thing in life too, self-satisfaction, self-respect and so on. There are 900 million people in the world who can neither read nor write, and many of them are children. And what we want to do is to bring literacy, if we possibly can, into the areas of the world where it's almost non-existent, so that having saved the lives and having made life tolerable at least, now they can read literature. I mean literature in terms of technical equipment and so on, in order to work machines, in order to learn how better to do their crops, in order, etc., 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 sanitation or whatever it be, but also to be able to write themselves and to create something themselves, and indeed at the end of the day to read great works which would open up huge vistas for them. That seems to me a marvellous step to make and Parker Penns have come up with this idea of appeal. You mentioned Gandhi, you've made three biopics now. Have the words of any of those three um, world figures inspired you? Oh yes, Gandhi. I mean, without question. Uh, One phrase he said, he said, poverty is the worst form of violence which is an extraordinary statement to make when you're dealing with the terrifying situation of haves and have-nots, you know. But there's another phrase which I always remember, which needs setting up, but when he was in South Africa as a young man, he was walking along the pavement at the turn of the century with uh, uh, another Indian, and two white South Africans came towards him, and of course he had to step into the gutter. And he turned to his pal and he said, you know, it's always a mystery to me 
that men can feel themselves honored by the humiliation of their fellow human beings. And I, <laughs> this for a young man to say this, I thought was extraordinary. Um, so, to what extent are you inspired as a UNICEF ambassador by your love for your own children and grandchildren? Oh, enormously. I think um, all of us uh, in what we call the civilized world or the, not un, the developed world are aware of our incredible good fortune. I mean, the gap between, not only internationally, but even in the UK, the gap between have and have not uh, is... Uh, unacceptable in my judgment. Uh, it is too great and it has increased over the past few decades to a terrifying extent. And I think that we not only have to demonstrate in what we say and what we do, but in our own lives and in opportunities such as this one, which is I've been granted, to say, look, you know, I have three children. They are all married. I have seven grandchildren. And I just want to say thank you. I just want to express my depth of gratitude for the fact that all seven of them will read and write and run and laugh and sing. I mean, that's a gift from the Almighty, isn't it? And somehow or another, one wants to recognize the extent and degree of, of our good fortune. And so what you do, or what I do, and what I'm allowed to do, is something like being involved with UNICEF. Have any of your children or grandchildren ever given any great words of inspiration to you? No, it's please daddy is the usual. <laughs> or please pappy, which is now the grandchildren's name for me. Now. What would you say has been your most inspiring moment as a goodwill ambassador for UNICEF? I think in Africa, about four years ago, being in a village which had no water at all, and which people, kids usually, had to walk two to three hours in the morning and two to three hours at night to fetch water. And UNICEF had managed to find a well and were now digging for this well and sending a great pipe down to bring water into the village. And by the time sort of, it was about nine o'clock, they'd been there since five in the morning, waiting and waiting and suddenly out of this great tube that had been put into the ground, water gushed. And the expression on the faces of those thousands of people was something I'll never forget as long as I live. Has any of these things inspired you to make a film about this? Um, if I found a subject, yes. You, you've got to have a narrative, you've got to have a story. I don't make documentaries, I make biographies, but they require drama and they require emotion. So the only two subjects, I mean, Gandhi dealt obviously with um, colonialism and empire and politics to a certain extent, and Cry Freedom dealt with apartheid, which obviously, in the terms of the history that I'd learnt through Gandhi, meant a great deal. So I suppose, yes, my work related to UNICEF did help me or persuade me that a film which condemned the abomination of apartheid was worthwhile making. Why do you tend to go for biopics? And what the next one apparently is going to be another biopic, isn't it? <laughs> I'm afraid it is, yes. I, I don't read a great deal of fiction. I read biographies. 
I'm fascinated by people who, men or women, who have changed our lives, who affect our vision, who have redirected our attention, who have stood for a courage, a moral courage, which we are, or I certainly am, incapable of. And the result of that is, because I don't write, and I don't compose great pieces of music, I communicate through actors. And when I moved from acting myself into directing, what I wanted to do was to use the medium of the cinema to make statements, to make the cry for compassion, to make the plea for tolerance, and to attempt in some way to put back into my work evidence of my gratitude for what I am attempting and have attempted uh, to create in my own work. I mean, to, to express that awareness of my own good fortune through the cinema. If someone were to make a biopic about you one day, who would you like to play you and how would you like to be portrayed? Oh, my God, what a terrible thought. Nobody would be foolish enough to do that. My son could play me. He'll have to slim a little. Uh, but my... Um, I don't know how I'd like to be portrayed. Um, I would... Uh, so It's so easy to be pompous, isn't it? I mean, I, I would like to be portrayed as somebody who had had and experienced the most wonderful life, the most wonderful good fortune, and the unbelievable joy in my family, my wife, my children, and my grandchildren. How many more years ahead are you planned film-wise? How many more films ahead are you planned? Well, I've only got two filmed. I've got the, the, the Canadian film, which I'm going to do, which, as you say, is another biography. I then want to make a film about a remarkable man who lived in the 18th century, who was a radical called Thomas Paine and uh, by that time I'll be knocking 80 and uh, maybe I'll have fallen off the twig by then who's to say Do you want to carry on working for as long as you can? Oh I couldn't give up work the idea of not getting up to work was anathema for me I mean I just adore what I do I mean I can't express how the joy that I experience in doing the job that I've found that I can do with some competence. One of your other great success stories is your fabulously long marriage. How do you attribute the success to that? A very tolerant woman. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I think, I think the marvellous thing was that we met when we were kids. We were met when we were students at RADA. Uh, and she was the bigger name at that time. But as we started to have children... Uh, she decided that it was not possible for both of us to continue working because otherwise we'd never see each other. And so when our third daughter, Charlotte, was born, she decided that that was enough and that she would be the matriarch, she would be the hub, she would be the centre of the family, which, good gracious, she is. Mm. Charlotte explained that you, although you have all this massive of responsibilities and duties and everything else, that you switch off as soon as you see your grandchildren. Is that right? <laughs> yes, I do. I'm a disastrous grandparent. I mean, they could do anything they like with me. The great thing about being a grandparent is you can spoil them to the most appalling degree, and then when they're overspoiled and behave badly, you can bugger off. <laughs> do you see yourself in the grandchildren? Um, yes, I do. I see some in terms of a sense of humour, uh, obstinacy, 
um, devious, wicked deviousness. Always, I'm afraid I see rather a lot of me in them. Would you like uh, your family to follow in your footsteps more? No. I would, I would just like them to do what they want to do. My son is the principal associate director of the Royal Shakespeare Company. My middle daughter runs Dance UK, which is the big umbrella organisation which deals with all forms of dance here in the UK. Um, Charlotte, as you know, is an actress. Graham's an actor. They're all really in the business. It's uh, quite concerning uh, because it's a tough business, particularly being an actor and actress. And uh, you've got to want to do it like you wouldn't believe in order to stick it out, as it were. Because there's no permanence in it. There are no contracts which allow you to know that in 10, 15 or 20 years' time, in quotes, when you retire, that you can, in fact, uh, rely on a revenue, on an income and so on. It doesn't exist. Mm. And you can go in and out of fashion. It doesn't mean whether you're a good actor or a bad actor. You're, you're the flavour of the month, and when you're the flavour of the month, you can't do enough work, and when you're not, nobody wants to know. We saw you acting in Jurassic Park and that Santa Claus movie. Are you going to do any more acting? Well, I don't think so. I'd much rather direct. I've just done a bit in Lost World. Uh, I l- like the character in Jurassic Park. I top and tail the, uh, the sequel, which is called Lost World. And how do you feel about the response to your latest movie, In Love, of, in Love and War? Um, it's not been the success that I hoped it might have been. It's all right. It won't lose any money. Uh, it's a slight story. I think, in a way, one suffers from the fact that people anticipate and indeed review the film that they think you ought to have made. Uh, the New York Times said, where's Papa? Meaning, where's Papa Hemingway? Well, Papa Hemingway didn't exist. The boy was 18. He was brash and a bit stupid and full of his own importance and so on. But there was at that time no evidence whatsoever of the great Hemingway he was to follow. And because he's such an icon, Hemingway, I think that a number of people were rather disappointed that, in fact, um, that didn't emerge in the subject matter. Of all the films you've done, which is your favourite? Oh, favourite, I don't know. I mean, I, I, mean I, I don't know. I think the best film I've made was probably Shadowlands. Um, I think the most difficult film and perhaps the most rewarding film uh, was Gandhi. The most exciting film was Oh, What a Lovely War, which was the first time I ever directed, you know. Would you like to win another Oscar? Oh, yes, you always want to win an Oscar. Not because you want to stick it on the mantelpiece, but because unquestionably the Oscar with its mammoth I think 400 million people see the awards well you can't buy that sort of advertising and publicity so it means particularly if you make a film which is not in the mainstream of popular cinema the exposure that you get from that Oscar or being merely nominated is of huge financial value you're known to be a very emotional man oh yes I'm hopeless I mean I'm absolutely hopeless I I'm very easily... um, I I mean, it isn't that it's superficial in any extent. I just am an emotional... I just find that all my emotions are easily accessible, and I suppose that's because I'm an actor. Which of your grandchildren reminds of you most of all? I suppose Will, who is Michael's second son who unequivocally is going to be an actor, I'm afraid. (laughs) He determines on a particular day what character he is to 
impersonate for, for the next 24 hours. And I mean, it can be without any embarrassment whatsoever, Long John Silver. So when he goes out to the supermarket with his mother to do the shopping, she's accompanied by Long John Silver, who hops along behind her with a patch on his eye and a scarf over his head. Oh, he's going to be an actor, Will, I'm afraid, yes. Can you ever imagine putting your grandchildren in any of your movies one day? Uh, no, I don't think I did. I, I made a film, the very first film I directed was called Oh, What a Lovely War. And it was, what, 1969, which is almost 30 years ago. And, and Lottie was in that. And she, play, she, she ran through the, the last shot of the film was a whole mass of crosses on the downs, Sussex Downs. It was a sort of formal fable, and Lottie impersonated, as it were, a new life emerging. Well, a very close-knit family. We're very, very fortunate in, uh, on our side of the family. We all live within 10 minutes, you know, in Richmond and Twickenham. They're a good distraction for you from your work, aren't they? Oh, that's a magical part of them because my work is almost an act of sacred dedication. It's you're blinkered, you don't... When you're actually working and concentrating on a, on a particular movie where you're responsible for the expenditure of tens of millions and the responsibility of people's careers and livelihood and etc 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 is uh, very hard to dismiss and yet when the, one of the kids has a problem either because they've lost something or there's a I don't know a, a spider in a in a matchbox or something that that is more important as to whether he or she is going to live or not than anything that you've been doing at the cost of 50 million, then the proportion of the importance of the 50 million takes its proper place, I think. Have you got used to your title yet? My title? I never use it. No. No. I mean, it's a, the, the title as such is sort of silly in a way I mean ridiculous uh, what is exciting is to be part of the legislature and to be part to be able to protest about something or advocate something or question something 